Welcome to another episode of Lean Into Trauma, where we can talk freely about the uncomfortable details that make us who we are today, because all of you is welcome here. My name's Shamber, and I'm really pumped about today's guest, my friend Marie. Marie is kind of a rock star. I think she's pretty cool. But aside from being a rock star, she's also a licensed therapist turned empowerment coach for women who want to recover from the impacts of a mother who was or is not emotionally present in their lives. Marie helps women gain a deeper understanding of how the attachment to an unhealthy mother can lead to challenges with self-esteem, boundaries, relationships, and so much more, as well as how to redefine themselves the way they want to be and connect to their own emotions so they can live the most sincere life. Give it up for my friend Marie. How's it going? Hi, thanks for having me. It's going great. <laughs> yeah. No, I honestly, like, I was super excited to podcast with you just like, ever since I met you, honestly, I'm like, oh, she's so cool. You just have like a wealth <laughs> of knowledge. And yeah, just like an amazing personality. I try, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the best. Like when you don't have to try, it just comes out. You know, like sometimes there might not even be a filter, but it's okay. It's just you. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yes. Tell me what's kind of like been the highlight of your week. Oh, let's see. I am branding actually a new program, um, working with moms to help parent after a dysfunctional parent. And so I'm really getting into the nitty gritty of developing that program that's going to be out in the next couple months. So that's really what I'm working on and excited about at the moment. Wow. That sounds like, so are you like designing it all yourself or are you having someone do it for you? Yep. I'm designing the whole thing myself. So the curriculum and everything that's involved. Okay. Okay. Nice. That, wow. That's so like, will that be like on your website or is that going to be a totally different like domain? Yeah, there'll be, there'll be, it will be on my website when it's up, once it's up and running. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Was this like one of your dreams that you wanted to like follow through on? Um, it's really part of kind of learning what is, what are people struggling with who have dysfunctional parents and through kind of the research in my and my current coaching program is it's a lot of mothers so the people that are ready to really do the work and the shift that comes when you have your kids really creates this huge motivational push to work on yourself um the challenge with this stuff is of course when you grow up with an emotionally unavailable parent um you have poor self-worth. So very, very low um, belief of capabilities and ability to kind of invest in yourself because there are these thoughts that it's selfish or or other kinds of things. So I'm really integrating a lot of parenting into this program too. Hmm. So I, I'm assuming this is kind of just fit for like a certain age range then. So you've got to be a mom. Yeah. Yep. That okay. the new program. You'll have to be a mom. Yep. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. All right. That sounds like a, a lot of work, but a fruitful week. I like it. I, um, I know this past week I stumbled across this thrift store with my husband and they were going out of business. And so like all of their stuff, like their clothing was 55 cents a pound. What? And so, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like, I'm like, 
at first I go in, I'm like overstimulated because there's like probably 200 people in there. It's so packed. Girl, you and need to text me. Like, come <laughs> shopping. I got I know, kids I too. <laughs> oh my word. I will next time. I promise. I, <laughs> it was great. I mean, <clears throat> they had stuff that was like obviously kind of no- nasty, but for the most part, like I found some really good stuff. Some of the things still had tags on it. Like, I think I walked out I with like, two boxes of clothes plus like uh like an ethan what is that um ethan allen mirror some paintings and wow. some games for 25 bucks 25 bucks oh my so, god we I are know. like deal hunt my husband is like a major deal hunter in my family i mean i am too but like he's better at it than i am um, is he like thrifty or would he go on like online like amazon like what does that mean oh all the stuff, all but the stuff. specifically like finding deals online Oh so goodness. find new new or gently used things. Oh, but like buying things off of marketplace, fixing them and reselling them. Oh, yeah. He did bikes for a while. He is just the master of like these side hustles. Well, it's crazy because I feel like more and more people are like recycling items or ups, like upselling. So like they'll buy something, you know, on Facebook marketplace or at Goodwill and, you know, they'll buy it for ten dollars and then they're gonna resell it for like three hundred dollars i'm like oh yeah it's crazy it's like the society we're in though right time is money well if i put yeah i put some you know elbow grease into this i can flip it yes yeah i know it's it's crazy i mean it's definitely a side hustle i can respect like i keep saying when i grow up i want to do that but i'm always (laughs) busy with 20 things so it probably will never happen but whatever i can i can respect respect the hustle totally always i love it so oh my word i kind of want to go back to like how we met it was kind of funny because like i met marie um so i did your photos right yeah, you and did my professional photos for my coaching, my current coaching program. You were so funny, too, because, like, you were like, okay, like, this is, like, unformed, I've done this, and, like, we're just rolling. And then I knew that when you had hired me that, like, you worked with, like, people who had, like, emotionally unavailable mothers, people who have been through trauma, and I'm like, I jive on this. This is so cool. And so <laughs> You I'm understand like, this on a deep level. Yeah, and, like, during the shoot, I remember I'm, like, in my mind, I felt like I had 20 questions, but then I'm, like, oh, I kind of professional and, like, focus, like, <laughs> creative right now, and we can talk about this later, but, um, yeah, that's, like, how we met, and I just really think, wow, I, I'm so excited, even, like, with this new project to see you kind of, like, empower people, especially because, like, Grand Rapids is such a cool city. And there's so many people there who have yeah, had. It's, it's yeah. a great place. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. And then you guys, oh, my word. Aren't you guys, like, in the middle of, a um, like, a kitchen demo right now, too? Uh, yeah. It has been a long time in the planning. Um, we have, like, no lower cupboard space because of this giant brick fake thing around our stove. And huh. so, but then of course, as you do it, you're like, there are lots of layers in this. Like, first of yeah, all, we yeah. got to get the ceiling redone um, oh, because there were so low. many patches and just junk. Um, and then we got to plan this and that, and we got to do some demo here and we got to ha- do, it's just, yeah, it's, it will get done 
in probably the next eight months. <laughs> Have you been saying that the past eight months though? Um, well, we just did, we just got the ceiling done, uh, the, in September. So we're, we're in like okay. a good place. We're okay. in a good place, but yeah. it was planet. We've been planning the ceiling since March. Okay. And then we scheduled, are... we scheduled one person and then another person. It got all messy. So you're contracting it out. Yeah. We're kind of being, we're being our own contractors. We have a good builder friend that. Um, we've been using on and off for years. So oh, nice. thankfully he like volunteered to, to do our kitchen. <laughs> Ooh, that, that is nice. I know, like I grew up in a, um, like a construction zone house. So like we were always from project to project. I don't really remember many years growing up, like not having a project. If it wasn't the kitchen, it was the basement. Cause like my dad was an architect. So like he, did it all himself but we helped him so most of it wasn't contracted which is like cheaper but then oh, like, yeah. the project's five times as long so that's why i made the joke of like is it really been like like eight months or are you gonna say that eight months from now because we i remember the days of like we're almost done and like a year later i'm like oh it will <laughs> definitely it will yeah it will definitely be a long time so yeah, well, winter. we'll see. I'm glad that the ceiling is done because that was exhausting. But everything else oh, is word. like a weekend here and a weekend there until we get to the actual installment and all that. But right, and, and then hoping none of our none of our appliances break down because we don't want to replace our pl appliances right now. So oh, we're like, let's, can can they last another year? <laughs> so right. we'll kind of be, it will be a couple year process. Okay. Okay. As long as like, you know, you, you have a place to like cook and eat, like you're good. Right. You know, it might be right. a floor or OSB, but whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have plans. <laughs> oh, I love it. So I want to just jump right into like, kind of like, what do you do? And what made you get in this profession? So like, I know you kind of have a cool story as some people who inspired you. If you want to just tell the listeners, like, how, like, what made Marie Selleck? <laughs> yeah, so I guess a couple different areas of my background is um, my mom's parents were extremely, like, people who give back a lot. So my grandfather was a Baptist minister, but he was also, you know, taught sociology at a college for 10 years, um, did prison ministry. Um, did a lot of volunteer work for Habitat for Humanity. And then my grandmother was a high school guidance counselor. Um, so I always grew up with a lot of giving back. Um, and then on top, so that's kind of what motivated me to be to be a therapist. And then to make it more complex is I have a father who is very emotionally unavailable. And so that, you know, as I went into my career as a therapist, I really started to do work with women and their mothers and realized that I was giving them information and help that they'd never gotten before or even validation that they'd never gotten before. It's like I gave them permission to not have to um 
go with oblig like these cultural obligations of a mom. Mm, like I, I gave them permission to challenge some of those as yeah. as it's not a right as a mom to have a relationship, right? It has to come with respect. And so I realized for years working with women that I had this this kind of insight, I guess, or this ability to to work with them and help them through that, which is what hugely motivated me to develop my mothering yourself coaching program. Wow. So you mentioned you had a negligent father. Um, can you explain, I guess for people who don't quite know, like what does it mean to be a negligent parent? What are some signs, I guess, that made you be like, I guess realize he was negligent, but also be able to identify for the women you work with today? Yeah. So emotionally what it is at its foundation is emotional immaturity so i usually use the phrase emotionally unavailable and it's a range so you have you know this this goes all the way to at its extreme would be a personality disorder such yeah. as the big you know the big one that's always referred to narcissistic personality disorder yeah yep in its milder side, it is um, it is dismissing feelings. It is always listening to respond and not to truly understand complexities. It's downplaying feelings. It's kind of like if you have strong feelings, they might label you as a bother or over over dramatic, always dismissing oh, okay. them. Yeah. So. So these parents are uncomfortable with difficult feelings. So typically it's very generational. And so, if, of course, if you look at your parent and then look at the generation before them, you can kind of get real a lot of insights into why they developed the way they did. Um, my father had a father that um, that had polio. And so polio, addiction, OCD. And so there was that complexity to just being his father was emotionally distant. But then his mom had some mental health stuff, too, which he doesn't acknowledge. But just the information I've been provided, it's very similar. So my dad's my dad was I was really a bother to him not in all of the not all of the time but when i got old enough to really have my own opinions so this is like age 10 he did not listen to me or understand the complexity of my feelings or my experiences he was very dismissive towards me but it took until probably 10 for me to really feel the impacts just from his type of emotional immaturity. So, so okay, I feel like I have a lot of questions now. So would you say he's still like negligent or has he gotten like healing or has like, you know, has it been made known to him that he was emotionally unavailable? It has, it, okay. nothing, it doesn't get better because it's something that he cannot conceptualize. So how I kind of explain it to people, because a lot of people hold off this hope that their parent will change. 
This is the reason why they might go back many, many times if this parent is on the abusive scale, a lot of gaslighting, a lot of passive aggressive behaviors. And the, how I explain it, especially with my dad, is he's a fish in water. And so trying to sit there and explain to him that there's water all around him, he can't conceptualize it because he's never been out of the water. He's never truly understood what bonding with someone truly means. So. I've had these small conversations with him here and there. One of them that happened, oh, maybe seven years ago, is he actually admitted to not bonding to my sister and I and not being able to empathize with us or understand us when we're younger. So it came out in frustrations or like very black and white thinking is this is what you do. If you do anything else, you're wrong rather than understanding why a five-year-old might act a certain way. Um, so we were kind of labeled like problems. Me specifically, because I grew up with, I had hyperactive ADD. Okay. So it was very, he was very critical of like, why can't you just get it together? Mm, versus yeah. really trying to understand, you know, how my brain works or what my issues were or how to help through them. So how often is it and maybe maybe it's not often enough and maybe because it needs to be talked about more how often is it that the negligent parent actually gets that healing and remedies the broken dysfunctional relationship between them and their child like is it pretty rare or like if you work with some of these moms that they like they come to you and then they go back and they discuss it with their parent you know what i'm saying yeah, it's pretty rare. Really? It depends on the severity. If there's a personality disorder, then it's extremely rare for any change to happen. And typically, if it's mild, there might be some changes, but there's still a def essentially at its core, there's a deficit in empathy and insight. So if there's a deficit, like that's kind of something if, I mean, I don't mean to cut on this generation, but specifically like the boomer generation, I feel like already that generation struggles to have empath. And so it's almost like if they're an emotionally uh, like negligent parent, that's like even worse does that make like I feel like they already have a disconnect because like people of that generation like I can think of things from my grandparents that they just like would sweep under the rug you don't talk about it like you're fine roll up your sleeves yeah sometimes I see religion playing a big role in it because people look at religion as very black and white so sometimes you know that generation is tends to be more religious than even the younger generation. So sometimes I see that depending on the um, the conservatives or the, the sect of, of Christianity or religion. Um, but also, you know, you think of previous generations and who they were raised by, but also I, it, there's like a societal issue with also like women being raised is the reason I work primarily with women is we're already 
have this societal, um, societally being held back, you know, expected to be quiet, expected to, um, to not challenge authority, to, you know, all of these kinds of things. And we're, you know, millennials and, and what is it, Gen Z, the ones <laughs> that are a little bit older yeah, than millennials, yeah, yeah, are really the first generation to do a lot more challenging for women, right? Even, even my mom growing up, right, is, um, you know, there were these, these, there still weren't discrimination laws to protect women. So, you know, after that generation, we really are kind of the first couple generations to do that. And then on top of that, you add in layers of complexity for, for adults, you know, for, for parenting, all of those kinds of things. Well, I feel like once you get to an age, you know, you're an adult, you start having kids with your, um, with your partner and like your brain's already fully developed mostly at that point, normally, yeah. right? So once you're getting, you know, 30, 35, 40, you're, you're developed. And so you have patterns and habits. And obviously you have a mixture of good and bad habits. And I can imagine that like, man, I, I can't even imagine a woman coming to you, expressing some things, almost feeling like she was in the wrong. And then you're able to identify like, wait, no, these patterns you've developed were actually because not you, but because the negligent parent and so now it's like, you have to rewire your brain. I, I just can't even imagine. I mean, I know for me, there's been things I've had to rewire having been through trauma, um, pre-adoption, and then in my first um, marriage where I had to, I believe that it was got abusive and um, just rewiring like to a point that now I'm in a healthy, safe, wonderful marriage with someone I grew up with. And it's a regular basis, even where we're going back and forth, having a conversation. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you're walking in a back past pattern. Like this is a safe place. And I'm like, dang it. I did it again. I have to rewire it. It's like, yeah. it's like, it's hard. I mean, it's good. It's obviously the, the end product is wonderful and fruitful, but. Well, and things it. that motivate you right. are empathy, but also insight. Is, is, you know, when it comes to, to people changing, I also ask, you know, clients of mine, if you, if your parent came to you right now and essentially if they wanted to heal, they would have to face an immense amount of guilt and shame that of how they impacted you. And depending on the severity, you ask yourself like, are they willing to face and do they have the strength and support to face guilt and shame and recover from it? Hmm. And, and, and most people, dip, again, depending on the severity, right, more towards personality disorders and later, there's again, there's a deficit of empathy, but there's of putting themselves in someone else's shoes or finding a purpose, but there's also a deficit of insight. Hmm. Because insight comes from empathy, right? When you put yourself in someone else's shoes, you can see their perspective. But that also you turn that back around and you see you have insight into yourself and your own behaviors. Do you think it's harder because, I mean, kind of going back to older generations, 
mental health and therapy, like that was kind of a foreign concept or you just don't talk about that, right? Do you think that's also like kind of a chasm as to why it's more difficult for them to grasp hold of like acknowledging and then moving on and recovering? I couldn't say. Okay. I can say if it's a generational, I mean, it all, yeah, I couldn't say because I've, I've worked with women of all different ages in different generations, but a lot of people won't do the work once their kids are grown because they find it, they find no purpose in it. So that's why some of the older generations or or the other part of it is people get into survival mode and can't get out of it it's too scary so if they're if their parents had trauma and then they had trauma and so on and so forth they just go on autopilot and they avoid so any heavy trauma right that might even be ptsd is it's primarily avoidance and so a lot of the generation the the people who have become emotionally unavailable many times come from trauma like heavy trauma that hasn't been hasn't been actually addressed and then there's all the guilt and shame that primarily come from ptsd those are the biggest yeah the biggest beliefs some of your, so like one, I'd say your ideal client, okay, that comes through. Uh, like now that they've been through this sort of trauma and they're now they're kind of in survival mode, is that affecting how they parent? Like, is it, are they incapable of being like the highest potential parent or now are they like over parenting? Yeah. So it's a lot of overcorrection for insecurities. Mm. So. It is, I call it like the pendulum, is if you were overly criticized when you were a child, you kind of go the over the opposite. And because you have the empathy, the people with the empathy are the ones that tend to do the work on themselves, right? Because you can actually end up with a deficit of empathy again and continue the cycle. But the people with the empathy, um, they tend to are so afraid of either becoming their parent or so afraid of their kids feeling like they did growing up that they'll avoid discipline. They will give in to their kids a lot quicker, which doesn't, which gets in the way of kids learning self-soothing techniques, learning independent skills. Um, When a parent over, overly parents their kid the kid also constant like starts to lose confidence in themselves like well obviously as if mom is is over parenting me i i'm not capable of doing these things on my own so it continues this cycle of this lack of confidence in kids that's so interesting that you say that because i feel like now I'm almost like identifying some of my friends who I'm like, hmm, interesting. I think their parent was like negligent emotionally because I can think of people probably between the age of about 20 and say 28 who they under parent. Like they, I mean, 
their kid could be just going brazy in front of me and I'm just looking at them and they're like, ah, what? Like, they're just totally hands off. But then now that I think about it, after what you just said, I'm analyzing their parents and their parents were super strict and they're super like harsh. Um, yeah. But they weren't actually like parental and nurturing, right? They were just like the harsh. And so now right. this makes sense. It, it makes sense. Yeah, is, well, and there's this strong belief, right? And this is what is said a lot is, well, I gave you shelter. I gave you clothes. Like I cared for you. But it's like they don't have to be abusive to be emotionally unavailable. Right. right? It's not even like I even I even hesitate on using the word negligent because negligent um, means intent. Right. It's it's kind of this this unsaid intent, but really it's just unavailability. It's not yeah, recognizing yeah. that being emotionally available is just as important as shelter and safety and food. Yeah. And it's just a development of your self-esteem, your sense of self, being authentic to yourself. It's just kind of a different portion of needs. But of course, you know, the other part of this is you can have emotionally unavailable parents if you grow up in poverty. Because your parents are in survival mode. So it's it doesn't even have to be, you know. Oh, are you there, Marie? I cannot hear you, my friend. Okay, I'm there. Can okay. you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Whoa, we're back. <laughs> yeah. So... So, you know, even emotionally unavailable parents, you know, they can happen if you just grow up in poverty. Yeah. Because the parents just don't have time to give you the emotional connection and needs only because they're in survival mode. They're working. They come home. They're on autopilot. They just don't have the energy for more. So there's no fault in that. Right. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. So poverty, you definitely see higher rates of unavailability just out of circumstance. And so you also think of um, like minorities, too, just yeah. because poverty is higher in minorities. And so you just see this as an ongoing cycle. You know, it's interesting um, just because I have a fascination because this is part of my story. I feel like even people who um, are adopted or have been through the foster care system oh, yes. um, can struggle with this. I was just talking to someone the other day and their parents, um, they, how do I put this? Um, it's almost the parent that's like, you know, well, we adopted you. We put food on the table. We saved and, you. Right. Yes. But there yeah. wasn't to the put it blatantly. like, Hey, like you were hurt pre-adoption. How can we work through this? And so now, right. They're a grown adult. And today now they're like, oh my gosh, like they're craving love or they're, yeah. they're wrestling with like, who even am I? Like, it's just right. This identity crisis, because it's like, they were so hoping for this nurturing and they didn't get that, but they're like, I mean, I had all the visible things I needed. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't the emotional. So the negligence is there. Um, and yeah. I yeah. There are. Absolutely. There's, there's, you know, 
and I'm sure you know this in the adoption community, there talks about just kind of like ego adoptions, right? Is this, oh, yeah. I'm going, no, I'm going no. to save. I feel so bad. I have the money. I'm going to save another kid right. or I'm going to save like, a kid. Yeah, yeah. And it, and they're not, because it comes from that place, it, they, because when you have the ego, there's this lack of empathy, there's this lack of insight, right? And so again, they they become or can be very emotionally unavailable. And exactly like you said, I give, I gave them shelter, I gave them food, I gave them possibilities, they have money, they're, you know, all this, all this stuff. And that makes it really hard. Wow. It's, oh, man, it's just crazy. Now, I'm like, wondering why are more therapists not specializing in this area because i can see so many people have had different parent and not and most of the time those parents aren't being malicious right no no most of the time they're absolutely like my dad is is, doesn't have a malicious bone in his body he's just incapable yeah yeah and it's it's I think you said the ego part earlier and that really struck me because I think in order to really be a healthy parent, to have, to come to terms with healing, it is stepping off that platform and, and falling into a place of humility and going, okay, I don't have so much. Let me learn so much. Yeah, man. So yeah, so much humility. I feel like you really, um, I don't know, like you, you were just a, a quality therapist that really honed in on a, a subject I feel needs to be honed in on more. What do you think, like, are some key things that every therapist, like, should have, like, when they're working with a client to really, like, help them? Yeah, so you have to be willing to sit in discomfort mm. and push people into their discomfort. So... This is just such a big need as therapists. Um, I have, you know, clients come to me all the time and they just say they've, they just sat in rooms and had people talk to them, which is, can be helpful, but I, I push, I push, I push people to sit in their discomfort. I point out when they're, when they're squirming, right. And I'm like, okay, like, let's talk about what is it about this topic that's uncomfortable and where did it come from? And that's, um, I mean, that, you know, that's my heart leaning into that trauma, right? I think people suck at leading in trauma because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't meet the status quo. Like it's inappropriate, but man, you know how much healing people can receive when we just take a moment, we pause and go, this is important. We're going to lean into it. Discomfort and all. Right. That's why I specialize in PTSD as a therapist, right? As I'm like, and and substance use, it's like, no, we're going to lean into this. And the other, the other very, very needed piece is patience. Mm, That's good. Is you don't work harder than your client. You work just as hard as them. You do not own their successes and you do not own their, I don't like the word failure, but their, their lack of movement. Yeah. Um, When I was, I was previously married and I'm divorced and I was in therapy for two years, not leaving. And just because of that experience 
And I look back and I go, it took me that long to see it. And so that has helped me tremendously with being a very patient therapist. Wow. Take and I think about on. that often when I, when I have a client that's, you know, not moving. And I just yeah. remind myself, you know, it took me years and it makes sense and it takes time. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, I know I've told people I've worked with is like, honestly, every new situation can re-trigger something, right? Just when you uh, think like, ah, I'm all healed. I got it. I'm all put together. Then you undergo a new experience. Like you get married you move across the country, you, whatever, you have a kid. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, those insecurities or the, that fear or whatever, fill in the blank can sometimes re-arise. And you're like, wait a second, I got to re-lead into this again, right? Oh yeah. And that's actually what happens with, you know, women with emotionally unavailable mothers is a lot of it just re-emerges when you have kids. And it's because you start going over your narrative again and thinking like about the, the pardon of like going over the narrative of like what they thought a parent is versus like what it actually is. Um, more like the things that they said to you or the ways they treated you. And then you use this empathy of, of, you know, you as the parent to your child and you can't imagine doing the same things to your kid. And so just the things, you know, ex I've experienced and I go, I would never say such things to my child ever. Wow. And so it's kind of this reemergent um, of your history because you're, you're experiencing the new dynamic as the parent, but you're still the child of your parent. Right. So like how, like pre-healing and post-healing how do you think your own past experience of being emotionally neglected kind of affected how you parent your two kiddos? Yeah. So, I mean, thankfully I had one very emotionally available parent. So that helped a lot. Um, I actually did my healing before I had my kids. Wow. So I have a stepson and who's, who was seven when we, when my husband and I got together and then I have a daughter who just turned three. So, how I've noticed it coming out is, is first of all, patience. And I'm not saying I am great at patience. I'm saying I'm better than what I would have been. <laughs> Definitely. The things, the things I notice with my daughter that come really natural, and I have to really remind myself this isn't super normal, is I repeat things back to her a lot. So when she says something to me, I say it back to her in her own words. Yeah. And, wow. you know, I've done this totally naturally, but I, I, I teach my clients this, you know, communication on reframing it back to the other person to make sure they feel heard or allow them to recorrect their statement. And that's one of the biggest things that that allows my daughter to feel heard and listened to right, versus like, right. just pushed off person, right? She's not, she doesn't have to parrot your thoughts and what you right. say, but she's her own person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So responding that. to her, but also 
I've been able to parent with firmness too and yeah. boundaries yeah. of, but I talk to her. She absolutely goes to timeout, but I also absolutely talk to her about why it is that we don't do certain things. Yeah. You know, and I give her options. So I would not have ever been as patient or connected as a parent if I had not gone and done my healing. Yeah. And I even look at myself at that different time and said it would have been awful. I didn't even want kids because I was so afraid I'd screw them up. Oh, yeah. I remember saying that as a kid, too. Yep. So afraid. And then I met my husband and he was he's amazing. Yes. And and thankfully, his son is absolutely I mean, my stepson is absolutely amazing, too, and emotionally connected. And and we've been able to really bond as well. So that's been helpful. Ugh, I love that. That's ugh, and that's just such a good like pointer for anyone listening who kind of missed that. It's like make sure you strive to get your own healing before jumping in and maybe into a new relationship or a new next step in your life. Like it's so Mm -hmm. important to get healing. And Marie, you're just like crushing it today with all the the wealth of knowledge. I love Mm -hmm. it. as we're coming to a close, I just have some rapid fire questions for you. Um, where do you think you see yourself in five years? It sounds like I know you're, you're pulling together your rising above your roots project. Um, what else do you want to do to really drive home this, this wisdom? Yeah. So, uh, I, st- I, I'll never step away from therapy. It's something I love so much, but I would really like to, be able to just focus on PTSD because I'm so passionate about it. And it's, uh, I use CPT, which is only 12 weeks. And so I'd love to hone in on that more, but I mean, really just keep working on my program and trying to get to as many people as possible. And because it's group format, it can really have an infinite number of people in at one time. Mm, So I'm, I love that. But also, I mean, a lot of my goals involve like my family. Yeah. So my husband has had a dream to, to start a nonprofit where you provide steel toed shoes to people who can't afford it to start like a factory job. And he's in manufacturing. And so he's always wanted to do that. And I would love to be able to, um, to, to let him do that, you know, financially, but also give him more time that he can be able to do that, that deeper work that he would like to do to kind of, you know, help people. Wow. I love that you guys are like, you guys are each other's helpmates. And I feel like your guys' hearts kind of go hand in hand with like, helping people and empowering like that. I love that. What relationship goals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we complement each other well and he, you know, supports me. So I it's like it. getting this up and running and continuing to support his big dreams. Mm, I love that. So like getting into like therapy and really working with women who had emotionally unavailable parents what do you think were some of like the most influential like books or podcasts or speakers yeah so i and this is probably going to sound cliche but Brene brown is amazing 
Okay. Um, I, I actually include her TED talk in my signature program and, uh, which is the, the power of vulnerability. So she, the lead, the, oh my goodness. I'm not going to remember the name now. Of course. Any, honestly, any of her books are absolutely amazing. It's all about leaning into discomfort. So she has a great podcast. Pardon? As it sounds right up my alley. I'll have to, I've never heard yeah. of her. I'll have to check it out. No, she's absolutely amazing. I love her work. Um, and then Lindsay Gibson is also another one. She is um, a psychologist that wrote the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Okay. And so she is a fantastic person. She talks about it and pulls it apart about really what emotional immaturity looks like. And then she has like a second and third book about how to, how to recover and heal. So, so a lot of self self work. Okay. Well, for those listening, I'll be sure to uh, put in the description, those resources that Marie quoted so you guys can soak up all the wonderful wisdom um, Marie, where, where can listeners find you online? Yeah. So I have my website, which is meselliccoaching.com. You can learn about my, my 12 week coaching program. Um, and also if you're in the state of Michigan, my specialties, you know, are substance use and, and PTSD. And I have my own practice, marieselictherapy.com or com. And then I have a Instagram mother wound coach with underscores. And I have a Facebook group called the mothering yourself method. Amazing. And again, I will put all of that in the description down below for anyone listening that wants to follow along with Marie's journey or really wants to use her as a therapist because she, she is amazing. Um, closing thought, Marie, um, what give, give some words of encouragement to our listeners. What, what do you want to leave them with? Yeah. So the big thing I love telling people is you're not less important than everyone else. You're at least, you at least need to start treating yourself just as important as everyone else. People many times fear that if they treat themselves just as important, it looks like they're treating themselves like they're more important. You are just as important as everybody else. So start treating yourself the way you treat others. Hey, I, that was good. That, that just spoke to me. I love that. I feel like I need that on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, thanks so much, Maria. I just, uh, man, from a, I, I feel like I just look up to you because you just empower people and really just help them through their trauma. And I think the world needs more people like you. Uh, oh, thank you. So I appreciate it and keep doing what you do. Um, thanks so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And thanks for listening for all who are tuned in today. Again, this is Lean Into Drama. My name's Shamber, and it's just been such a pleasure spending this time with you today. Be sure to give the podcast a follow so you can stay up to date with future episodes. And remember, friends, all of you is welcome here. <laughs>